Good morning. It's the Athletic Cleveland Podcast. I'm Zach Jackson. I cover the Browns. Hopefully this isn't your first time here, but if it is, welcome. Um, I always say we're going to be more consistent with these, and I think we are. It's tough with schedules and getting in the routine of the season. Obviously, that was tough for Zane Gonzalez, too. Anyway, um, we're going to keep it straightforward here, at least as much as I can. going to talk some Browns, talk some Jets, <clears throat> um, talk a little bit about what the Browns have been through over the last four or five days. It's Wednesday morning as we record this, and then look ahead to Thursday night's really big game. Uh, I'm going to bring in Connor Hughes, my cohort, who covers the Jets at The Athletic. He was kind enough to spend some time uh, running down the Jets and kind of the East Coast point of view on this game. Um, we know how big this is. Guys, I did a column in June saying this isn't a one-game season, but it's pretty damn close. We know what's at stake for the organization, uh, for those trying to get into the victory fridges, for everybody trying to get the stink, the burden, whatever you want to call it, and it's probably all of the above away. It's especially big for the head coach and the quarterback. I think two games in, the Browns have have shown clear improvement. Um, I think part of the disappointment of not winning, other than that's what matters, is that they have, in stretches, played well enough to win. The defense in stretches has been dominant. It's been better than advertised or expected outside of that room. And when you cause that many turnovers, you have to get more than 10 points off them. You have to get a win. They haven't. Uh, The offense in glimpses, not stretches, has delivered. That's why they tied the first game. That's why they were in position to win it with kicks. It's why they were able to survive uh, the first onslaught by the Saints last week in the fourth quarter after the defense held them down for three quarters. Um... But, you know, the running game has not been good enough to make up for the lack of a vertical passing game. There's been little imagination. There's been moving parts. There's been turmoil. There was crap weather the first game. Um, and there was crap offense in both games for, I guess you'd call it nine quarters with the overtime. It's been crap offense for about seven of those, let's just be honest. So, um Tyrod was obviously really bad in week one. There were understandable reasons why. And I think he was just good enough in the fourth quarter the other day when you take away the interception. I guess he was just good enough in in two drives the other day to make you say, okay, um, yeah. (laughs) So this is where the Browns are. This is who Tyrod is. This is who the Browns are right now. Uh, I think getting rid of Josh Gordon will be a positive chemistry-wise, um, building going forward. David Njoku has to catch the football. Duke Johnson has to get involved. And whether it's on the play caller, the quarterback, the line, or Carlos Hyde himself, he has to do better than 2.8 to carry. This team has to run the ball to open up things, play action game. Uh, really good designed runs a couple of times in week two by Tyrod after running for his life for some big plays in week one. Uh, If the running back can run, that opens up things for the quarterback because it freezes the linebackers and the safeties. Again, the tight end actually catching the football freezes the linebackers and the safeties, and you have to manipulate those guys to get Jarvis Landry open. Uh, Antonio Callaway, it would be premature to say a star was born, but if this guy is confident and engaged in learning and he can be more than just a guy that comes on the field for end-arounds, the occasional fly route, whatever – then that challenges the defense, and that gives the Browns a chance to make big plays because uh, Rashard Higgins isn't making big plays. Uh, Carlos Hyde has made one big play. Um, You know, a lot of times, I'm watching from above, Tyrod is not even looking down the field, and defenses adjust to that. So this is where the Browns are, 0-1-1. 
Um, some disappointment. They have a new kicker. They got rid of Josh Gordon. Um, the only other changes I think we're looking at would be health-wise. And as we record this, we don't have an update on Christian Kirksey or Demarius Randall. Uh, you know, barring something crazy, and with this team, you never know. Everybody else healthy and good, and the Jets, uh, again, a challenge. You would think the defense can give the rookie quarterback making his third career start and third start in 10 days fits. Um, you would think the Jets' defense can give the Browns fits. You would expect conservative game plans. So maybe the first team to pop one, a trick play, a big pass, a big special teams play, uh, gets the advantage, I really think. Is a huge deal in this game is for the Browns to get the lead and uh, get that crowd into it. Let the players taste it and let them close it. I mean, guys, Drew Brees is one of the best to ever do it. He is, by numbers, the most accurate passer in NFL history. For three quarters, the Browns held the Saints to 153 yards, and a big part of that was not letting them run. Uh, Brees was going to make plays. He did. And then, of course, you know, the missed kicks are uh, gut-wrenching. They hurt. And, and they've cost you two chances. But you can't say if you had a kicker, you'd be 2-0 because there's different circumstances uh, in both games. And even if Gonzalez makes the extra point, the Saints still jogged down the field. Um, they're them botching the clock management. Yes, a team against the Browns botching the clock management for once opened the door. Tyrod hit those two big passes. And then even though, I again, I, I, I've been critical of Hughes' clock management at times, and rightly so, with eight seconds, you don't have time. You don't have the trust right now in your offense to run another play. And even, you know, the reason you had to cut the kicker less than the misses more is uh, that you didn't trust him. You knew that last one wasn't going in. That's just the situation that you were put in in that spot. So anyway, 1-1-1 um, one, one and one would be ahead of where most thought. You know, I thought the Browns could get one of the first two because – it's their Super Bowl, and those are Super Bowl teams that don't really give a darn about September. Uh, and the Browns, I thought, brought their A game to New Orleans. They didn't have their A game in week one, but they were resilient. So um, a resilient team, a talented team, a real strength in the defense, and an improving offense. I think we're in for an interesting few-week stretch here, but they got to get this one because we know what hovers, uh, and it's not just the win. We know... We know what what people want to talk about and point to and wonder about. And it's the quarterback and the head coach. And in the NFL, the quarterback and the head coach are your ceiling. And both of them are on the hot seat. And it's not really Tyrod's fault because he's only been here five months and, and two games. But we know what the situation is. He's the number one freaking pick in the draft. The Jets are playing the 21-year-old three pick in the draft. The Browns believe in their plan. Maybe time will tell it to be right. Tyrod's got to play better, flat out. He's got to play better for the plan to be right. He's got to play better for the Browns to win. He's got If he's really the leader of the team, which they've sold us on since stinking May, then he's got to deliver a win and they got to get forward. And if they do get a win, all vibes are good. Everybody will forget about Pittsburgh and New Orleans real quick, and they'll go forward. Oakland stinks. You play two home games after that. So look, one 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 is out there. It's attainable. It's tasteable. It's not there yet. The Browns have to play pretty damn close to four quarters on Thursday night, and they have to finish, and we'll see. Give me a second. Let me press the right buttons. Bring in Connor Hughes. We'll talk Browns-Jets. All right, as promised on the Athletic Cleveland Podcast, we now bring in my cohort, one of them, out in New York slash New Jersey. His name is Connor Hughes. He covers the Jets 
you've seen some stuff as well. Um, Connor, first of all, welcome to the Athletic Cleveland Podcast. I know that's a big career achievement for you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's always good to, uh, to like you said, help out, help a teammate out. I know we've certainly got a, a decent amount of them now. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot of us out there. Um, let's let's just start with the overall state of things. The Browns have had a tumultuous week. Well, the Browns have had a tumultuous 20 years. Uh, as the Jets come in, uh, I know they're disappointed in how they played in their home opener, but is, is everything pretty stable slash normal, at least as normal as can be out there? Yeah, you know, there, there's really not too much uh, dysfunction or, or drama over in, uh, over in East Rutherford, at least not like it's been – the last several years, you know, this is a Jets team, I think, that's certainly a lot more optimistic than they have been. You know, it's not – I know with you guys, obviously, in Cleveland, it's, it's a little bit it's a little bit different, obviously, with, with the losses that have piled up. You know, the Jets are kind of a team that are entering this season not necessarily expecting to be a playoff contender, but just expecting to show those sporadic bright spots here and there. And, and you know, obviously, they, they got the, the resounding victory over the Lions in the opener and then came down came back down to earth a little bit. Uh, there against the Dolphins, but still, I mean, there was a lot there that, that they could hang their hat on, whether it was, you know, the pass rush or, or the play of Sam Darnold. I mean, there was there was a lot there that, that the Jets certainly were can be excited about and their fan base can rally around. And, and when you're not necessarily going into a season saying playoffs are bust, you know, those are the things that, that can uh, that, that can make you feel a little more positive on, on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. Two-part non-chronological question. Uh, did you sense the crash back to earth coming before last Sunday? And did you know or did you feel like the Jets were capable of going into Detroit and playing the way they did on that opening night, opening Monday night? Yeah, uh, I, I don't – I actually didn't think that it was going to come back down to earth uh, last last or last Sunday, sorry, like three days ago, uh, on Sunday. I don't think that that was uh, – I, I didn't see that coming. I actually thought the Jets were going to beat the Dolphins. I thought that was going to be another big victory. I mean, I don't, I don't think Brian Tannehill is some some gangbuster of a quarterback, and and I'm not too much of a believer in Adam Gase and that entire team. So, you know, I honestly thought that was going to be the the game that the Jets won, and then this game here coming up against the Browns was going to be their back down to earth. You know, I thought they would look at Cleveland's record and and look at their history and 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 you know the the you know that all that kind of stuff and just kind of look past the Browns ignore the fact that really there's some pretty good players on the field and, and a pretty and I mean actually a really really good defense so I thought that this Browns game was going to be the one that on a short week a rookie quarterback Greg Williams that the Jets were kind of just, just going to fall apart so I thought this would be that game not necessarily the Dolphin game but I mean that's that's kind of what you get with a young team is you don't really know what to expect you it's impossible to predict how this thing's going to go I mean the Jets average age i think is like 26 years old or something like that so i actually thought it would be reversed like i said where, where they beat the dolphins then lose to the browns but uh that that lion performance man I, I think that that was uh that one was about as surprising a game as i've covered and i've been on this beat since 2014 2013 2014 you know that was a game that i didn't see coming i thought the lions were going to have their way with the jets and the fact that they went the other way was uh was a bit of a shock well, the Browns' average age in the last two years was actually 16, so I understand where you're coming from um, with that. Uh, three games in 10 days to start the season, two on the road, is some of the most ridiculous scheduling I've ever heard of. Have you heard any bitching from the Jets about it, or they just say, hey, this is what we're dealt, and we got to go try to win a game on Thursday? On the record, yeah, yeah on, on the record, they've, they've been uh... – They've been nice soldiers, you know, that it's fine. This is what we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to come around. But 
talking to guys off the record, talking to guys, you know, with the recorder turned off, they're annoyed. I mean, look, these are guys that are that are, are really big dudes that are banging into each other for four quarters, and now you're basically removing their recovery time. You know, they went from playing a game on Monday night to open the season to then playing that Sunday game on a short week and then playing on Thursday night. I mean, it's just brutal and really difficult to ask this team to, to go through. I mean, I know it's been done before. I was talking to Spencer Long, and he said he actually – uh, did it when he was with the Redskins as well. But, I mean, look, when you're when you're a, maybe a quarterback or a receiver where you're only taking, you know, what, 10 hits a game, you know, if it's a really bad game or, or if you're a receiver and you catch a lot of passes, maybe you're taking 12 hits a game. I mean, it, it's fine maybe when you're younger and you're able to just bounce back and play another game. But when you're an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, a running back, where you're getting hit 25, 30 or more times every Sunday – I mean, how long can you, you know, it's, it's, it's brutal. I mean, it really is brutal, but, you know, it's, it's kind of the hand that Jesper dealt. And I guess the positive of this is that after they get through this game here against Cleveland, they've got uh, a little bit of an elongated break and a chance to rest up before they play the Jaguars. All right, it has no bearing uh, on, on this week's game, obviously how Sam Darnold handles it. But Baker Mayfield versus Sam Darnold, which will linger. I mean, people hope for 10 years. It will linger for three, maybe for five, maybe for more. Uh, let's go back to March and April. Uh, we know, I think it was St. Patrick's Day when the Jets made their trade up to get number three. At that point, they had no clue of the Browns or Giants' intentions, so they just were coming up for a quarterback. Um, did it play out the way you thought it would with Mayfield going a one, and, and do you think the Jets always targeted Darnold? Uh, yeah, well, the first thing, Darnold was the number one guy on their board. I know that's cliche to say, and they're always going to say, but I can tell you, like, firsthand from talking to people in that organization, uh, they, they were convinced that Sam Darnold was going number one to the Browns early on in the draft process. So they had basically written off in their minds that they had no chance of getting him uh, with the number three pick. They moved up with the belief that Darnold was going to go number one, They'll see what happens with the Giants at number two, and then they would go with Baker Mayfield at number three. Or if the Giants took Baker Mayfield, then they would go with Josh Rosen. But they're, they're one, two, and three board of quarterbacks. It was Darnold one, Baker Mayfield two, and then Josh Rosen three. Uh, like I said, in their wildest dreams, they never really imagined that Sam Darnold was going to be there. I mean, they, they were in, in total belief that he was going to go number one. Uh, that, that was the case during the, the, uh, the pre-draft process, the combine. Uh, when they started scheduling their visits, they kind of threw one last second in there for Darnold just to say, you know what, we'll bring the guy in, we'll see what happens. Um, but it was not something where they were saying to themselves, like, oh, we know we're going to get Darnold. So I, I think that McCagnan actually was, I think right after the draft, he said that they started to get some some uh, some, some heavy indications that maybe that wasn't how things were going to pan out, like 24, 48 hours before the draft. They started to hear that Baker might be the guy going number one, and that's when you know, kind of their eyes lit up and they were just, you know, thrilled that this was going to be a possibility that they were going to be able to get them. But, uh, you know, yeah, they, if, if they were to sit down and kind of play this one out and, and do it a hundred times over, I mean, this is the outcome that they wanted is that they got their guy. They got the guy that's perfect for, for the city that he plays in. He knows how to handle the criticism and handle the scrutiny, never too high, never too low. Um, the early return obviously is looking pretty good because he's also a decent start. Yeah, I couldn't believe my eyes or ears either, Connor, quite frankly. Um, but this is what they chose. And Sam Darnold at 21 in a couple of months is starting. Baker Mayfield at 23, five years in college is not. 
It's bigger than that. You Baker Mayfield defenders, please stay out of my mentions. I'm willing to let this play out for a few <laughs> years. Anyway, um, in this context, back to you, Connor. When did you think, because it made sense. I mean, they had McCown, who's the ultimate tutor, who's seen everything you can see in this league. And they had Bridgewater, who they didn't know would be healthy, but he was. When did you realistically think that Sam would be the starter on opening day? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, the, the Jets kind of went into this thing with the mindset of, yeah, you know, they, they said a wide open three man quarterback competition, yada, yada. But it really was not about that. I mean, this was Sam Darnold's job once Sam Darnold was ready to be it. So, so once Sam Darnold showed that he could be a starting quarterback and not, not better than Josh McCown, not better than Teddy Bridgewater, but capable of going on the field and playing quarterback and not being a liability to his teammates he was going to get the job. And, and I think that there were always little signs here and there really early, like going back to rookie minicamp and, and, and OTAs and stuff. But I, I think when, when I personally saw it and I said, you know what, I think he can do it, it is there was a practice in training camp very early on. Uh, it was true. I mean, he had obviously missed the three days with the holdout. So it was about, I would say like a week, week and a half after that before the Jets' first preseason game where he took a snap in the red zone against the Jets' starting defense and he looked to his left, and his guy's initial read was covered. It was Chad Hansen. Then went over the middle to his tight end. He was covered, too. He went back to the left where uh, I believe it was his, the second tight end of the formation. might have been Neil Sterling. And ran like a play in the flat. He was covered. He then went all the way back to the right side of the field, his fifth read, and found Trenton Cannon open and fired the pass his way. Now, obviously, he had great protection, so that allowed him to go through those reads. But when I saw a rookie quarterback essentially a week and a half into training camp make that play, Look, I, I, haven't, I haven't covered Andrew Luck. I haven't covered uh, Tom Brady, no Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the guys that I'm comparing this dude to are like Geno Smith, Fitzpatrick, uh, Petty, and Hackenberg. So it's not like I'm, I'm comparing him to the cream of the crop. But when I saw a rookie quarterback do that was when I was like, you know what, I think this guy's different. And when he would do things like that and then also make his mistakes, like, you know, boneheaded picks, but then come right back the very next play completely unfazed, I mean, I think that's when I saw it and said, you know what, this guy's going to take his lumps. He's going to make mistakes. He's still a rookie, but uh, he he can he can play week one. And and I mean I think he again it's super early, but I think he's shown that that he can play this game. Now how high he goes and what his ceiling are ceiling is, I think that's kind of the to be determined aspect of this. Meanwhile, here in Cleveland, they won't give they wouldn't give the number one pick in the draft a rep with the number ones. So <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. I, I've watched that from afar. That's pretty nuts. He really didn't get one. He didn't get one first team rep all all, all summer. Not with the ones. I I think during the formal slash informal inter squad scrimmage, he went against the ones, but not with the okay. ones until Tyrod got hurt in the game. Not not in any open practice anyway. So. Gotcha. You know, okay, there there are really, in camp in camp about ninety percent of them are open, and it's not till late August that they that they really shut them down to us. But um, okay. you know, every situation's different, Connor. And, and for what the Browns have been through, now you can't live in the past, you can't live in your fears, as we heard Todd Haley say on Hard Knocks. For what the Browns have been through, keeping him out of keeping Baker Mayfield out of the pressure and everything, uh, having to play right away, it is a smart and, and seemingly prudent move. But you're not you know, making the pressure disappear, you're just hiding it. You're putting it in the closet. You're delaying it, whatever it's going to be. Um, I, I guess what I'm asking or, or what we're on this should be on the same page about is if you're not going to win the Super Bowl, which the Browns and Jets aren't, if it'd be a damn miracle if you made the playoffs, which is the spot that the Browns and Jets are in, why isn't the rookie quarterback playing? 
Yeah, you know, you're honest with that. I think it's, I think it's a, a really good point, and that's why, look, the, the Jets have not done many things well. I mean, I know it hasn't been as bad as things have been in Cleveland, and and I know fans are going to listen to this and be like, oh, you think you're uh, – well, let me tell you about that. But, <laughs> I mean, I think what the Jets have done well, and like I said, so tough to, to compliment this franchise in this regard, but I really do believe that they, they handled this quarterback situation about as perfect as they can because they did. They were, they were realists. And they realize that this team is not going to go to the Super Bowl. Like you said, they are very, it's very unlikely that they make a playoff run, which is why this then, be, this then became about Sam Darnold getting ready and getting Sam Darnold ready to be the starting quarterback. And, and again, like when they had Hackenberg and, and people were saying, get the kid experience, get the kid ready to play, get the kid in there, you got to see him play. And the Jets refused to put him out there. The reason for it was because Christian Hackenberg was not capable of playing quarterback yet at that point in his career, and they knew that if they put him on the field, he was going to be a huge liability to his teammates and himself, and, and it was going to be that bad. So that's why the approach they took with Hackenberg was not – or I'm sorry, the approach they took with Darnold was not be the – Jets move him all over. So you'll see him outside. 
You'll see him in the backfield. You'll see him in the slot. You'll see him lined up as an H-back. And what they love is getting the ball in his hands with room to run because he's a really quick guy, he's a really fast guy, and he runs like a running back when the ball is in his hands. He's a little bit like Jarvis Landry uh, in that regard, that he's, he's quick, he's physical, he's agile, he's a lot of those things. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a, a definite offensive player to watch because he can be that X factor. Now, he's been targeted a ton these first two weeks. I don't know if that necessarily continues because I think eventually teams are going to start keying in on him. Uh, but the Jets are definitely going to try to get him the ball because he's a big part of that offense. Well, rookie quarterbacks always develop a go-to guy for their comfort level, uh, and then defenses start to know it. So that's kind of the next step for, for Sam, uh, I, I would guess. Um, kind of, you know, the Jets real well. They don't. It's not a real common opponent with the Browns, but they're similar teams. Def- defense stronger than the offense. Both teams uh, really need this game. I, I'm not a huge believer in home field advantage. Uh, except in two cases, extreme weather and Thursday night. So I'll give mine after you give yours, but what's your pick as you and the Jets get ready to head to Northeast Ohio? Yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. And I was looking at the uh, the line before the game, and I think the, the Browns are favored by three and a half. And I was like, man, that's got to be it's gotta be the first time a team that actually won a game in like almost two years is, is favored. But it makes a lot of sense. You know, like you said, these these Thursday night games are funky, man. You know, they're they're weird. They're unique. You can't really get a feel because, you know, a, a lot of times the, the quote-unquote better team doesn't win because it's so weird in terms of the timing and all because, you know, the game planning's condensed. You've got to install some of the game plan the week before. I mean, it's, it's just all weird, and it's super hard for that road team, like you said. So, you know, I think that, that either way, honestly, I think the Browns are probably a better team than the Jets are right now collectively. Uh, but, but I think the big thing that's going to be the difference on Thursday night is, is giving Greg Williams, uh, basically having Sam Darnold have to, have to prepare himself for a Greg Williams defense on a short week on the road. I mean, that's just a really tough thing for a rookie, to, a really tough pill for a rookie to swallow. So I think the Browns probably win this one. Uh, it'll be close, probably low scoring, probably really ugly. Uh, I'm really, I'm always bad at picking final scores, but I think I could see like 20 to 13, uh, you know, 20 to 10, something along those lines. I think the Browns win, though. Jets fans listening, lest you think you got it bad, the last time the Browns were favored at home was December 2015. The last time the Browns <laughs> won a game period was December 2016. But I think, and I just think, because I'm sure shit wrong as much as I'm right, that they're going to win on Thursday, <laughs> and we'll see. He's Connor Hughes. I'm Zach Jackson. We thank you for listening to the Athletic Cleveland Podcast, and we'll talk again after a really big game for the Browns on Thursday night.